Hello, and welcome to episode 89 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And this week we are going to tell you crime story and a paranormal from the state of New Mexico. Yep. <laughs> I was going to come up with something sh- like schnazzy to say, but I had nothing schnazzy to say. So yes, yes, we are. Yep. <laughs> So I once again have the true crime, and Bethy has the cocktail as well as the paranormal. Yep. What do- <laughs> oh boy. What do we have in front of us? Well, before I jump into the cocktail, I have a couple of little announcements. The first thing I wanted to share with you guys is that merch is out there. We have shot glasses, and we have a few koozies. We also have some stemless wine glasses. Check them out. They're going to be on our website and on our social media, on Facebook, Instagram. And again, our website is KillerHangoverPodcast.com. Really fun little gifts, maybe stocking stuffers for a loved one or your girlfriend that listens or your mom that listens. We're still doing the masks, so we got a couple of those too. Yes, we still have a couple masks. (laughs) Just go check it out. Find something for your mom, for yourself. Send the link to your husband. I don't know. The shot glasses are so cute. So merch is out there. We're super excited about it. And if you are a patron on Patreon, there is a link to the merch there on Patreon. So it'll be easy for you guys as well. So talking about Patreon, our members this week bought us this cocktail. Thank you very much. If you want to become a patron, you can join us on Patreon.com. This cocktail this week... Like literally I Googled New Mexico cocktail and this, this is, this is, this is the cocktail. This is it. This is it. Like this came up everywhere. Sort of like that. What was it called? The bulldog or the bull? The Nebraska bulldog. Yeah. (laughs) Like that was the cocktail. (laughs) Okay. So this is going to be a tequila drink and it's called the Chimeo cocktail. All righty. Let's go for it. So the story goes that our churro I'm going to butcher his last name. Jaramillo created this drink in the 1960s in his restaurant. It's a really popular drink in Chimeo, New Mexico. And I guess if cider is fresh, a lot of bars in New Mexico will make this cocktail. From what I read, that's what it said. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This cocktail is one and a half ounces of tequila, a fourth ounce of creme de cassis, Stop laughing at me. Is it pronounced Cassis? Uh-huh. Okay. Cassis. Which I didn't know what that was, but I still don't really know what it is. <laughs> it's a liqueur, but it's like a dark grape, right? I don't think it's a grape. You're right. It's not. I just Googled it, and it says that it's a sweet, dark red liqueur made from black currants. Um, I forget what you call it, but it's excellent. A little splash of that in a glass of sparkling. Just well, saying. Yes, and it, I was actually just reading. It's it's just it's a good wine cocktail, I guess, to use in wine cocktails. Huh, I've never had it in wine, but I have had it several times in sparkling. Oh, well, you learn something new every day. So a fourth ounce of that stuff. An ounce of unfiltered apple cider. A half ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice. And then an apple slice for garnish. (laughs) Our apple slice is invisible. (laughs) 
non-existent. So the recipe goes that you gather all the ingredients, then you fill an old-fashioned glass with ice and pour in all the ingredients, <laughs> stir it all up, and enjoy. So no shaker. No shaker. No shaker required. No shaker required. That's an easy-peasy stir it up. And if you remember from last week, you pour in the juice first <laughs> and then the liquor. Okay, I'm excited to try this. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Well, if you like tequila. <laughs> I really like this. Because you like tequila. I love tequila, but it's that black currant stuff. <laughs> Don't spit your glass out. Don't spit it out. Don't laugh at me. That crema de cassis. <laughs> it's almost as bad as cacao. cacao. <laughs> I like that. It mellows tart. it out fruitiness because of the lemon juice and because yeah that's good yeah if you're not a tequila fan you wouldn't like this because there is a you you taste the tequila definitely but it's good it's very smooth it smooths it out with the other stuff in it all right oh this is good oh by the way if you want to see any cocktail making skills all you youngins that listen i did create a tiktok for all of our (laughs) cocktails I'm not sure I know exactly what I'm doing, but there's some, I put some fun recipes out there. I'm trying to do it every week. I think you're doing a great job. I oh, think they're really Mom, cool. Oh, you have to say that because I'm your daughter. Not really. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but I've made cocktails now the last two episodes. I really like this. Like, I've, I've learned a lot. I know. That's the one good thing about veering off of the beer and the wine. And I still love a good beer even and wine. The sparkling. But... You do learn a lot. Yes. This is really tasty. And like a lot of these cocktails, I would never have even tried. No. That's kind of fun. So much fun trying new things with you, Mom. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bring it down and let's talk true crime. Yeah. I am going to bring it down. So you keep sipping and I'll tell you a story. The story is about Tara Calico. Tara Calico. Now, you told me you're the one that actually advised that I look into this. Yes, because I was really intrigued in this case, but I didn't know too much about it. And I wanted you to be the one to tell me. (laughs) Okay. I I wanted to sit back and drink. Okay. (laughs) And I didn't know anything about it. I was familiar with the Polaroid photo, and I will go into that a little bit. But I didn't know anything about the case. So here we go. Tara Calico, described by her sister Michelle Dole as a very active, vibrant person, had a bright future ahead of her. Tara was born February 28, 1969, in Berlin, New Mexico, to David Calico and Patty Dole. She was very active. Even when she was young, she was involved in peewee cheerleading. I didn't know there was such a thing. Oh my gosh, it's so cute. I have girlfriends and even Alex's cousin's daughter is in peewee. Oh my God, they have these big bows on their little cheerleaders. It just, oh my gosh, they're so cute. And they're cheering cute. for like the peewee football team. Yes, and it's so adorable. Oh, a little girl. I'll never know that. Mine will be the ones busting out on the field. <laughs> Um, She also was in uh, softball and was in a ski club. Oh. Her biggest love, though, was tennis. In high school, Tara was an honor student and played in the marching band. 
After high school, she attended the University of New Mexico on the Valencia campus where she studied psychology. She worked at a bank in town. Her job was to carry money from bank to bank around the Valencia area. Okay. Tara was still staying active, playing tennis and bike riding. When I say bike riding, I'm talking about long distance. <laughs> I'm talking about the bike ride you and I might do. I don't know if I could even ride a bike anymore. I don't know. Her favorite <laughs> route was along New Mexico State Road 47, an isolated stretch of road, but a place and time where Tara was able to think. She would head out almost every morning to ride the 17 miles there and 17 miles back. Now, if you can't do the math real fast, that's, no, but that's 30, over 30 miles. 34 miles. Oh. She did this most every my day. My gosh. Tara's mom, Patty, highly advised Tara to carry pepper spray or mace with her on the lonely stretch of road. But Tara assured her mother that she would be fine and continued with her bike rides. Now, she chose this stretch of road because there really wasn't much traffic. Not a lot of traffic. Okay. So, that makes sense. So now it's Tuesday. September 20th, 1988. Tara is 19 and a sophomore at the university. Tara called her mother that morning telling her that she was about to leave on her bike ride, after which she had a tennis date with her boyfriend. Okay, so 34 miles on a bike and then playing tennis. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm going to take a big gulp of this tequila drink. Oh, this girl was just incredible. Her tennis date was at 1230, so she told her mom, if I'm not back by 12, come looking for me. Right now, this is not a premonition. I was going to say. Like you might think. Did she always say this? or No. Tara had been having trouble with her with one of the wheels on her bike and had to walk her bike back into town on one or two other occasions. So she didn't want to be late for her 1230 tennis date. Can't be late for her date. So that's the reason she did that. But she left that morning at 9.30 a.m., blasting music on her yellow sony walkman as was her morning custom that oh my gosh walkman. a walkman that <laughs> reminds me so much of tom <laughs> my stepdad running with his music with his cassette walkman wasn't his yellow too yeah yeah it was it was and through the years we've upgraded to the disc thing that played the cds cds yes and how now, he ran with the cd i have no idea how and now we're skip. actually in the digital age so. now he listens to our podcast as he runs <laughs> but he ran with a cassette player forever he did he carried it and ran I can't even walk the dog carrying something. Well, I nice. just I just don't run. I just, I don't run unless I'm being chased. <laughs> or bugs chasing. Yeah, bugs Still chasing. <laughs> All right. This sunny Tuesday was going to, unfortunately, turn out very different. Because Tara never returned. Her mother got nervous when she didn't hear from her daughter at 12. She called around, but no one had seen her. So she got in the car and drove the route, thinking... You Again, know, with the tire the or tire something. Was, sure. Something's wrong. And she was sure that she would see Tara walking the bike along the side of the road, but no. As slow as she drove and as thoroughly as she looked, there were no signs of her daughter. Patty called the police. The police searched the road and found what looked like a possible sign of struggle. Also, bike tracks that appeared to be spun out, tire marks from a vehicle, and the most important clue, a broken piece of yellow Walkman. Hmm. A cassette tape was later also discovered along the road with music on it that Tara enjoyed blasting as she rode. 
because it was probably her cassette. Yeah. Because I guess you could see the tire tracks and think that she had another flat tire and maybe somebody that knew her or somebody offered her a ride into town or something. But if you find like broken pieces of this Walkman and a tape thrown out. Yeah, and a sign of a struggle. Yeah. Neither Tara nor her bike were found. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, not even her bike. Some witnesses claim to have seen Tara riding her bike being followed by a pickup truck. A witness did see the driver and a police sketch was made and circulated, but the driver was not identified. I found this piece of information strange because Berlin is a town of only about 7,000 people. Okay. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah, definitely small. Okay. So was the sketch that far off that no one recognized the person from town if he was from town? Sure. And this is like... A secluded stretch of road, or I would assume you'd be, stranger? you'd know the area, I would assume, if you knew that that road was there. I don't know. Sergeant Joseph Rowland of the Valencia County Sheriff's Office has been the lead investigator on this case since 2016. And yes, the case is still open. He is quoted as telling investigation discovery, quote, if there's a car running half on the road and half off 10 miles an hour, on a 55 mile an hour zone in a remote location and is being reported sometimes it's 20 feet behind a bike sometimes 10 feet behind a bike it certainly shows an indication that whoever was operating that ford pickup truck was intent on the young lady riding the bike yeah to add to that there were 19 witnesses that came forward some on that day that Tara disappeared, some later. There were four hunters that wanted to pull over to load guns or do something with their guns. <laughs> Didn't quite understand. <laughs> over to load guns? Oh, boy. <laughs> the place they wanted to pull over, I think it was like a, a side road, dirt road or something, but they wanted to pull over there. But they couldn't because it was blocked by a truck. Hmm. The hunters said that they saw two young men staring intently straight ahead. When the hunters drove further down the road, they saw Tara on her bike. Now, they knew what the men in the truck were staring at. They were waiting for her to come up um, Cresta Hill. And so it was two men. Yes. So even if those were just innocent men standing there, they would have seen her, though. And why didn't they come forward? To like, yeah, that was me. I saw her riding her bike. The two men? Yeah. In the pickup truck? Yeah. That was described by all the other witnesses right. also. Yeah. Over the next few days after Tara's disappearance, police and hundreds of volunteers searched the area. Now, if you've ever been to New Mexico, I'm talking about a stretch of road with no towns, no gas stations, no anything. The area is vast on either side of the road, and the land just stretches out to miles of desert. Hmm. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's desert. Yeah. And it's deserted. A deserted desert. There you go. The family heard nothing until 10 months after Tara went missing. July 1989, a friend of John Dole's, so John is Tara's stepfather, Okay, called with the strangest information. His friend told him that he had just seen a photo on, and the t this is a TV investigative reporting show, it's called A Current Affair. Okay. And it reports on anything from politics to entertainment to crime you know covers the area anyway this photo was found in port st joe in florida on june 12th so a month earlier than the guy called him okay 
A woman was coming out of a convenience store and saw a photo lying face down on the parking lot. On the parking lot. How about in the parking mm. lot? <laughs> well, it's technically on the parking lot. <laughs> Being curious, she picked it up to look at it and immediately turned it into the police. The colored Polaroid was of a teenage girl and a young boy facing the camera. Their mouths were taped and their arms were behind them as though they were tied up. Okay, it, so this woman finds this polaroid Mm -hmm. in a parking lot this tv show is putting this polaroid on their tv show well she turned it into the police right then a month later this this... tv show is posting this yes so tara's stepdad's friend sees this show and calls and tells him okay so i was wondering how this photo in florida had any way of being known and or seen or heard of in new mexico that's, that's always interested me so i just didn't okay so then they tuned into the show i guess and okay they thought oh my gosh they thought right away this looks like tara yes interesting it looked like the two kids were in the back of a van there was a book lying next to the young girl young teenager so what does this have to do with john dole <laughs> okay wait well, who's friend, john dole stepfather okay sorry <laughs> like what does this have to do with john dole who is john dole well the friend told him like i said this looks just like taro right john immediately called the police gotcha the fbi were called in i mean here you have an unidentified teenage girl and a boy tied up in the back of a van it already is suspicious of course this is a case for the fbi and of course the photo also caused a media frenzy of course like sharks with chum I had to throw that in. I love sharks. <laughs> Thousands of tips came in, as is usual in a nationwide case like this. Patty and John were convinced that the woman in the picture was Tara, and they went to the police, as did the parents of a nine-year-old boy. They, too, were from New Mexico and were convinced that the boy in the picture was their son, Michael Henley. Okay, well, okay. Sorry, go on. Michael had gone missing in April 1988 while out hunting with his father. Both families were hopeful that their children were still alive because, according to officials, the picture had to have been taken after May 1989 because the film used in the photo was not available until that time. Oh, okay. Got that? Got that. Unfortunately, the Henleys were to find out that the boy in the photo was not their son. Remains of a child were found in the New Mexico mountains two years later, around the area where the father and the son had gone hunting. The autopsy concluded that Michael had died of exposure. So the scenario in this case was probably that Michael had wandered away from the camp and had gotten lost lost and succumbed to the elements. Mm. At this time, you have the whole nation involved with this, and I'm sure listeners that you have seen this photo most of you have seen this photo and like i said i'll post it and you'll recognize it the case of who these young people were in the photo was featured on big time shows like oprah winfrey and america's most wanted and as in all cases the theories came out of the woodwork Mm -hmm. tara had been kidnapped the picture in the van proves that or tara had run away and was working as a prostitute in california Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. The list goes on and on. A medium even got involved, you know, saying, oh, yeah, she's buried in California. 
Scotland Yard analyzed the photo. <laughs> okay, now I think this is interesting. I thought in the when I did the Black Dahlia, mm -hmm. if you remember, Scotland Yard got involved in this too. Yep, Looking that's interesting. Did they get involved in a of lot of? I've never read it. Are I've they just never... good on pictures? I mean, have you seen this before? No. And then but I get... you're right. You did bring it up at the Black two Dahlia. Two cases, yeah. So are they just good with pictures? I don't know because in the Black Dahlia, they said they said it was not. Right. They looked at the picture that the doctor had. Yeah. The women that the doctor had. Yeah. And they said it was not. But they're saying that this is Tara. Now, the photo was actually sent by Tara's mother to the Scotland Yard. And they looked at it and analyzed the photo and concluded that it was Tara. Which is interesting to me because I'm not 100% sure it looks like Tara. Well, the Los Alamos National Laboratory concluded that it was most definitely not Tara. Okay. Mm. Well, who do you believe? Who oh. do you go with? And as her parents, how hard? And the FBI concluded that the photo was inconclusive. So you've got all areas covered here. Man, because it was found in Florida, too. It's, it's so weird. So there was no agreement that the woman was Tara in the picture. Uh, her mother had noted a scar on the leg of the girl in the van. And if you look real closely, you can see it. Exactly where Tara had a scar due to a car accident she was in while in high school. Oh, well, that's interesting. Also... The aforementioned book that lay beside the teen girl in the picture was a paperback, My Sweet Adrena by V.C. Andrews. Now, I don't know if that author is familiar to you. Oh. Um, Flowers in the Attic? No. No. Nothing? No. No. Um, no. Ringing no bells. He used to be a very popular author. Okay. I read all his books also. But this book happened to be one of Tara's favorite books. Like, like, for sure. Like, But uh, I'm saying... He was a very popular yeah. author during this time. Okay. okay. And I, so a, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. A lot of people it. read his stuff. I'm just putting that out there. What I found interesting about the photo was that both the boy and the girl had their hands behind their backs as if their hands were tied. But were they really? You think they don't, you don't think they were really tied? I don't know. It, it, it I, to me, it looked like her arms were too relaxed i don't know and if her hands were tied then how the heck is she going to read the book that was right next to her all right i'm pulling up this picture i gotta see this while we're talking about it are you looking at it i'm looking at it so if uh, she's if she's if her hands are tied like i said how is she supposed to read this book that's right next to her if her hands are tied like that i i i, I can't <laughs> i can't tell if it's too relaxed or not you can't tell because it's under her bottom and also she just looks pissed off I think. The boy looks scared, but she just looks like she's pissed off. I don't even know if the boy necessarily looks scared. But here's my thing is like, if this were me and this picture was all over everywhere, I'd be like, oh, that's me. Me and my brother were just goofing around. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. So it looks like neither had their legs tied, if you're looking at the picture. Right. The police also noted that if the tape that was around their mouth, if that was on there for extended period of time, there would be redness around the tape, but there's none. Okay. So it's almost like the tape and stuff was put on there right before the photo was taken. Okay. There was even a witness that said that they too were at the convenience store the day the photo was found, and they saw the boys sitting in the driver's seat of a white van playing with the steering wheel, and the girl was shopping in the convenience store. Now, I don't know whether this is true or not. Like I said, a bunch of information flew in. 
you know, everybody wanted to get involved with this case, of course. And you mentioned the scar. I mean, the bottom of her leg isn't even really showing. It's just like. But there's a little nick. Do you see the little nick there on her leg? Right down here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like that could just be from the picture. Like that doesn't necessarily. That is strange that it's exactly in the same place. That Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see a resemblance if this were to be Tara. There is a definite resemblance. Yes. But it was interesting. I saw somebody had put Tara and this girl's face close, you know, like side by side. Mm -hmm. And the eyebrows were totally off. Yeah. I was actually looking at the eyebrows. <laughs> totally off. If you see a side by side, mm -hmm. it no, they're shaped. They're just shaped different. Totally oh, different. Yeah. And then something, I didn't really understand this, but like the very top of the nose, I think they called the bridge of the nose or something, the knock of the nose or something. I don't know. But it was in a different area in both mm. of the girls. Now, I'm looking at that picture right now that you were just talking about, and I can see the differences now. The nasion? Yeah, I didn't know what Nasion. That. It's the very top of the nose. No, guys, I'm really good at pronouncing words. <laughs> N-A-S-I-O-N. And if you're curious, this picture is going to be on our website. It's CoreyToomey.com has the photo. But we'll put it on our website so you guys can go look at this. I or Even on our social media, I highly suggest. Yeah. I thought it very interesting that he posted Yeah, the eyebrow that. is straight across, mm -hmm. in, straight across in the van photo. Mm-hmm. And then hers has a nice smooth curve to the eyebrow. And even if she... Tara's does in the picture. And even... You're right. Even if she was grooming her eyebrows... Wouldn't look like that. That shape wouldn't be so changed drastically. Yes. So even if these two were not Tara and we know the boy was not Michael, Michael, then who the heck are they? Right. And that was my point. Like if this were just me and my brother screwing around, like pretending to be goofy or, you know, that we're whatever i don't know i feel like i would come forward and be like oh yeah that's me or somebody that knows me would be like oh yeah those two are brother and sister like neither one of them have ever been identified right that's what makes it so spooky so it could very well be a serious kids photo that have been right kidnapped i mean it, nothing has ever come out of that photo over the years, Tara's family has had to look at many pictures that have been sent into the police. Mm. I mean, can you imagine? No. I think, no. I think her sister even hundreds of pictures Ugh. in all different scenarios. That's so terrible. There were two that were pulled. The first of a woman's face with tape covering her mouth. Now, it's kind of blurry, but Patty believed it to be Tara. I didn't think so, but... The second showed but a man. Mom, you're not Scotland Yard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Scotland Yard. You're right. The second photo showed a man sitting beside a woman who was loosely bound in gauze, her head thrown back, wearing large black framed glasses. Patty thought this second picture was a total hoax. Which is sick. There's just some sick people out yes. there. That's infuriating. Tara's father died in 2002 and her mother died in 2006, never knowing what happened to Tara. Mm. But here's the twist. According to a 2008 Valencia County Sheriff's Department press release, they know who killed or hurt or abducted Tara. Wait, they do? Former Sheriff Rene Rivera, who had worked the case since he started the force in 1880. 18, in wow. 19 <laughs> you are so good at these dates. I know. I'm telling you. Who started the force wow. in 1989. <laughs> 
during which time he was promoted to detective and then was elected sheriff in 2006. He retired in 2011. He's quoted as saying, the case is not much of a whodunit. In an interview with journalist Leslie Lenthi- Lenthicum, the Albuquerque Journal. I, I'm so confused right now. Okay, so this sheriff that's been a sheriff for now for hundreds of years <laughs> says that this is not a whodunit case. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not. We know that it's those two guys that were there in the pickup truck. But who are those two guys? He said he knows they are. So how, why haven't they released that? September 14th, 2008, titled... What happened to a woman missing 20 years? This is the Albuquerque Journal. Okay. Rivera is quoted as saying, quote, The individuals who did the harm to Tara knew who she was, and they're all local individuals, and I believe that the parents of the attackers were some of the people that helped the individuals with hiding the truth or hiding the body or trying to escape. Okay, but who are these people? End of quote. Townspeople have come forward with the names of the boys in the truck that were seen following Tara that fateful day. The names of the boys that helped bury Tara's body have also been brought up as well as the names of the parents that helped clean and cover up the crime. So now we've got four guys. Okay. Okay. Two that killed her, two that helped bury her, and then the parents found out about it and have kind of cleaned everything up. Okay. According to some witnesses. Okay. And it's a small town. Mm -hmm. So that's all fine and good. But these people were not arrested. They were not charged. So where it gets complicated for me is that how effed up if these guys didn't do it. And that's hanging on them. And that's like what everybody thinks when they walk into the grocery store or go get their gas. Like if they really didn't do it, that's what sucks. Because they really weren't arrested. No, they were not arrested. So the scenario is that the pickup was following Tara. The boys in the truck knew her, were maybe trying to get her attention, like catcalling and, you know, something like that. Sure, 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 sure. But then something happened either intentionally or not intentionally. The truck hit Tara on her bike. She could have been killed then or injured, grabbed and killed somewhere else. Officials believe Tara's body is buried somewhere in the county. Michelle. Go call some dogs. They have. (sighs) Nothing. Michelle, Tara's sister and a classmate of Tara, Melinda Escabel, have made it their mission to keep searching for answers themselves as well as to keep momentum in the case. Melinda is actually the host of the podcast Vanished, the Tara Calico investigation. Mm -hmm. Melinda goes into depth about the case and includes interviews with a number of people. Interestingly enough, in 2013 and 14, both the FBI and the Valencia County Sheriff's Office interviewed two suspects, but didn't release their names or why they brought them in. Well, they're working the case. They know what they're doing. After Tara's disappearance, there were witnesses that came forward. But it's very possible that there were more and that they too had information, like important information, but maybe they were too scared to come forward. Mm-hmm. Too scared of the You hear that a lot. Guys. You hear about that a lot. Or maybe they were afraid that they would be brought into this whole thing and and maybe prosecuted also. Well, here's my thing, though. If it was four guys and their parents, like you said, that's a lot of people. That's at least eight people. You'd think somebody would have come forward. Or known something. Guilt-ridden. I mean, if I were ever involved in something, which I couldn't be because I would be so, just so (laughs) guilt-ridden, I would have to tell somebody. Well... 
even with as much evidence that officials, quote, say they have, say they have, you'd think they could make some kind of arrest. The yes. main problem is there's no body. There are no clothes. There is no bike. Gosh. Or are there? What? The latest information released on Tara's investigation is on Nancy Grace Crime Stories, November 8th, 2021. Okay, so this was just released. Nancy Grace has four expert witnesses weighing in on the case, as well as Melinda, the host of Vanished. Many interesting things have been brought up, and I have the link listed in the, our sources so you can listen to the whole thing. I believe it was Dr. Tim Gallagher, a medical examiner in Florida, who said that the bike would be a key piece of evidence. Was it damaged? Right. I was just going to say. If so, the front or the back. Mm -hmm. And how badly was it damaged? Also brought to the attention of listeners was the fact that the bike was taken. Taken from where? From the crime scene. From the crime scene. scene. If you remember back on our Hawaii episode, I think it was episode 48, I covered the horrible murder of Dana Ireland. Yeah, I've been thinking about that case a lot. Who also was attacked while riding her bike only a short distance from home. Tara, it seems, was only about a half a mile from her house. Oh, my god! And I think that's the same. That was the same scenario with Dana. Well, that right there, only half a mile from her house, it was easily somebody tracking her from her house. In Dana's case, however, the bike was found on the side of the road, right. aiding detectives with their investigation. Right. In this case, there is nothing. Now, I may confuse you with the following information because, honestly, I was a little confused. Mm -hmm. But here it goes. This is from the Nancy Grace episode that I mentioned and information from Melinda. She said that a pink bike that looked like Tara's bike was found in Mountaineer, 60 six zero miles from Berlin. The bike was sent to Valencia, to the Valencia police. Then it went missing. Then it showed up and now it's missing again. So this is evidence. How does evidence just go missing? Well, I can understand how it goes missing like once I misplaced or something, but it went missing two times and it's gone. It's not like it has legs and ran away. So weird. Also found. Do they have photos of this bike? Because if they did, that would be great evidence. Even if the bike went missing, do they have photos of it? Nothing. Also okay. found, and I'm not sure where, but there were a bra, underwear, and a shoe that supposedly was Tara's. The items, as well as paperwork, were sent to Valencia. But now, that too is gone. Were there really ever items? Were there items, or is there a cover-up? I don't know. Think about it both ways. I don't know. I'm just throwing that in there. Is somebody involved part of the police force i don't know because well if there's four guys and all their family then yeah i'm sure there is somebody involved because there's nothing also according to melinda there was a witness that came forward recently past couple of years not clear on exactly when recently is <laughs> okay but boy did this gal have a story she was the girlfriend or ex-girlfriend of one of the guys that attacked tara supposedly supposedly and her statement goes like this there were four guys in the truck that day one of the guys had it bad for tara he had asked her out and she said no and he did not take this well the men they were all around tara's age knew she rode her bike on this route every day well probably many people in the town did because mm -hmm. she did it every day when they saw her that day they started following her taunting her catcalling, etc then they sat waiting for her remember the hunter's story yeah. 
When she came up the hill, they hit her with the truck, probably not hard enough to hurt her. She ran, they caught up, and all four raped her. When she threatened to go to the police, they killed her. The girlfriend did not know any more information, like maybe where Tara is buried. That might have helped. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess my biggest question is, if Melinda knows this information, the police must have the information also. So why the heck is this case still open? Yeah, why wouldn't they be arrested and taken in is for it trial Is it really because there is no body? No real evidence? Well, I mean, I guess there was evidence, but now there isn't evidence. <laughs> and then there was evidence. <laughs> so oh, no. confused. There's still so many questions in this case. And as I said, it is still open. So the police and the FBI are asking for your help. Anyone, anyone with information regarding the disappearance of Tara Calico is urged to contact the Valencia County Sheriff's Office at 505-866-2400 or the FBI at 505-889-1300. I will have those posted. There is a $20,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the guilty persons or person or persons in this case. And like I said, I'll have those numbers and everything posted on our website. As well as in the description of this episode. Wow. See, like, I, like I've seen the picture. I kind of vaguely knew the story, but I don't know. Maybe I just have too much faith in people. But I, I, I hope the police have their ducks in a line and everything like that that ex-girlfriend came forward and that it could be potentially these four people and their families that's all just hearsay because if they had enough facts these people would surely be arrested surely they would so you i feel like you just have to have faith i don't know i it's just totally messed up it's totally no, it is it's totally messed up because her parents died without even getting an answer as to where tara is nope or what happened to their daughter? And she has a stepsister, like Michelle. And then she also has a stepbrother. And those two need closure. I mean, the family needs yes. closure. Just, you know, have Tara come home so that she can be buried and... Just know what happened. And that justice can be served. Yes. Mm. Crazy, crazy, kind of really messed up, mixed up case. And during this time, there were at least three or four different sheriffs. And you know what's sad is that if it wasn't for a picture found in Florida that may or may not be Tara, I bet you we'd never even hear this case. It's a small town. You know what I mean? No, you're absolutely right. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. How many people go missing every day that we yes. we, we don't hear about? Yes. But because of that picture. Like on local news recently here in Kansas City, there is a 18-year-old girl that has been missing and like I'm hearing about this because I'm in Kansas City but I bet you listeners that are listening in Washington wouldn't know about this 18 year old girl in Kansas City that's been missing like Same you scenario. don't hear about yeah. it but if some picture of this girl turned up in New York City on a Polaroid it would become national news it would I don't know that's just that's what's really sad yeah yeah I didn't even think about that but you're absolutely right so yeah didn't answer any of your questions <laughs> Thanks for the story, Mom. <laughs> You're more confused than you ever were. <laughs> Let's talk some ghosties. And I can sit back and sip. Sip on that tequila with your black currants that you love so much. 
I do. We used to pick them off of my grandmother's bushes in the, uh, she had a, this was in Germany. She had a garden house and we'd go there and she had black currants and red currants growing. Oh my gosh, my sister and I loved picking those and <laughs> eating them. <laughs> we didn't love so much picking them, but the eating Eating part them. Was, <laughs> no, I think it's the, this crema da cassis or whatever you call this. It, it's what makes this cocktail though. It's really yummy. Mm-hmm. Okay. <sighs> so it's been a while. But we are going back to the theater, Mom. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I will be covering the Haunted Chemo Theater in Albuquerque this week. Okay. The theater is located in downtown Albuquerque, and its location is right there on the main road. So it's been one of the main attractions in the area since it was built in 1927. The original owner, oh my gosh, I seriously have no idea how to pronounce this poor man's name. I am so sorry. Orist. Bachichi. How'd you spell it? Okay, Orest. O R E S T E. Orste? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Bachichi. B A C H E C H I. Bachiche? I'm so sorry. He was a local entrepreneur. He kind of had his hand in everything in the area. Side note because I thought it was really interesting. But he started his business in a tent by the railroad, like selling things. What? And then he became a liquor dealer. And then he became a <laughs> a grocer or a grocer. I don't know how you pronounce that. Take us back to that grocer. episode. A grocer or a grocer? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> He's not grocer, mom. Man. <laughs> It's been a long time since that episode. <laughs> he but ran he, a grocery store. <laughs> a proprietor of a grocery store. A grocery? <laughs> well, isn't it called a grocery store? A grocery store. Well, you can say that word differently too, apparently. <laughs> I'm going to the grocery store. Not I'm going to the grocery store. <laughs> he sold food. <laughs> But his dream was the theater and one that would, quote, stand out among the Greek temples and Chinese pavilions of contemporary movie mania. Oh, wow. Big aspirations. It first started as a picture palace because silent pictures were all the rage at this point in Mm -hmm. the 20s. It's decorated with Pueblo, like deco. It's described as very flamboyant on the theater's website. It's a mix of Native American culture and a Southwest flair. Yeah. Okay. It's an incredibly unique looking theater, which, by the way, you can take a virtual tour of on their website, which is really cool. He envisioned a very unique Southwestern style in his theater and hired. Now, this is really cool. It's a cool fact for me and mom. But he hired Carl Bowler (laughs) from the Bowler Brothers architect firm. In Kansas City. Oh, my gosh. Bring it on home. Oh, my gosh. So I wonder if there's any relation. Wow. That's crazy. Between your husband and the Bowler Brothers architects in Kansas City. Interesting. So I'm going to read from the theater's website because their description, well, it's better than what I could come up with. So... Quote, the interior was to include plaster ceiling beams textured to look like logs and painted with dance and hunt scenes, 
air vents were disguised as Navajo rugs. Mm -hmm. The chandeliers were shaped like war drums and Native American funeral canoes. Oh my gosh. Wrought iron birds descended the stairs and rows of garlanded buffalo skulls with eerie glowing amber eyes. Ooh. Unquote. And that's the thing that's most talked about is these skulls. And you can see them in the virtual tour and I, you can mm-hmm. look at pictures of them. So they're placed over these red lights. So the skulls have these red glowing, glowing eyes. eyes. Okay. All due respect to the culture of the theater. I mean, it. there's a lot of culture and heritage that went into this. Mm-hmm. But these skulls are super creepy looking. It's just very eerie mm-hmm. with red glowing eyes. The theater was named Kimo, K-I-M-O. And is a combination of two local tribe words, meaning mountain lion, but interpreted as king of its kind. Oh, well. The theater held performances from local tribesmen, which was a first of its kind. Many of these performances had never been shared on stage before. Cool. So that would be really, really neat to see. After his death, and I'm not going to make a fool out of myself and try to pronounce his name again, but after the owner's death, he left the theater to his sons, who kept the tradition of local tribesmen coming in, as well as movies, and did more of like vaudeville shows. Uh The Chemo's building also housed the local radio station, a restaurant, and some shops. In 1951, the theater was showing a movie. A movie that little six-year-old Bobby Darnell found a bit scary. So he left his seat to get something from the concession stand. As he went down the stairs to the snacks, the boiler exploded, (gasps) damaging most of the original lobby and killing little Bobby. Oh, my gosh. Bobby is said to be the main source of hauntings in the chemo theater. Can you imagine that timing? I mean, that is just like... So sad. Crazy. Yes. Another disaster in the theater was a huge fire in 1963 that totally demolished the original 1927 stage and most of the theater. Oh, no. The theater was in shambles and was about to be torn down when the city of Albuquerque came together and purchased the old theater, resurrecting it to the theater it is today. The theater is a performing arts center seating 709 people and is listed on the Register of Historic Places. When renovating it, they did the best they could at keeping the original spirit of the theater oh, alive. Wow. And that's along with the original spirits that still remain there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. how I did that. Did that make any sense, though? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> An actress, it is assumed, in a bonnet, just wanders the halls going about her business. She doesn't bother anyone. She just walks to and from in the hallway. <laughs> okay. She's also been seen backstage as well. Just Wearing her bonnet, not bothering anybody. Well, she's probably going over her lines. That's what I do right before I get on. I just pace. (laughs) Well, if my costume's a bonnet, then yeah, but pace back and forth just doing my lines. Little Bobby Darnell is another story, though. Mm. He has proven to be quite the little poltergeist. He is seen in a striped shirt and jeans and loves to play jokes on the staff and guests at the theater. (laughs) He's often seen playing on the staircase. He loves to mess with the actors, tripping them. Oh, no. Making loud noises during performances. Basically, if you're not a believer, anything that goes wrong is Bobby's fault. His name (laughs) should have been George. And we haven't had a George in a long time. I just have to make note of. To appease little Bobby, the actors have this little cubby-like room 
where they leave him toys and trinkets before a performance so he doesn't mess with them. So he's playing with the toys instead I mean, of them. this little space is filled with things for Bobby. Oh my gosh. You actors are so superstitious. <laughs> actors are very superstitious, yes. Or just a little stitious. Michael Scott. But apparently his most favorite thing to get is donuts. They'll hang donuts from the water pipe in the back there in that little space. And the next morning, the donuts will either be, not all of them, but some of them will either be gone or there are some reports of little mouth bite marks on the donuts. And they're not like rat marks. Almost like a little boy bite marks. I mean, it could very easily be rats, but... (laughs) I like the story that it's a little boy ghost. These offerings to Bobby started in the 70s when during a production of A Christmas Carol, an actor had strung up some donuts, a gift for Bobby. The director ordered someone remove the donuts, an order he soon regretted. That evening's performance was a total mess. (laughs) Actors were tripping and falling all over the stage. It's probably the best dang Christmas Carol. I know. Lines were forgotten and equipment and odd things would fall on the stage from above. (laughs) Quite the phantom of the opera, I'd say. Like light bulbs and cables would fall from above. Watch out, Scrooge. Windows and doors on the set would either get stuck. (laughs) Imagine trying being on stage to try to open a door. That was stuck in the... And you couldn't get out and you're like, oh, I am leaving. And you can't leave. And the whole flat, because they're built into the flat, the whole flat shakes as you're (laughs) trying to get out. Or they would swing open violently during intense portions of the show. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just can't. I'm just picturing this God bless us, everyone. Boom. 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 Poor little Timmy. (laughs) From then on, gifts have been left for Bobby. (laughs) Especially donuts. And the ghost blaming continues. One year, a night crew was preparing for a Christmas production of some kind and took down all the donuts. They were like stale. So like, let's just clean this all up. This is kind of getting gross back here. That night's technical rehearsal was a disaster. Everything went wrong from the sound to the lighting. I mean, everything. As soon as the gifts and the donuts were replaced, everything went smoothly. Although the owner, the new owner, does not believe in the ghost boy of the chemo, they do provide haunted tours of the theater (laughs) every Halloween. And he still allows them to hang all their superstitious stuff in the back of the theater. I wonder what would happen if you hung a plastic donut back there. I'm sure there are plastic donuts. Uh, The pictures you will post them. There is everything from old ballet slippers to toys to snacks to, I mean, it is like this whole hullabaloo of stuff for Bobby in the back. Wow. Bobby must be a really strong, uh, have really strong energy. Well, think about the way he died and he's a little boy. But somehow he's getting energy from something and it's making... Maybe all the nerves of an actor could be feeding off of the f- feeding off the, the fear and the energy stage. the energy of putting on a show and a performance yeah. and yeah believe me it runs high right yeah. before I, the adrenaline is super high maybe i don't know but in order to trip several people physically and open trip, and close doors yeah and that takes a lot of energy yeah. 
Maybe bonnet lady's giving him a hand. She looks innocent. <laughs> she acts like she's not listening to you. But really. But underneath she's that bonnet. She's making note. <laughs> she, her mind's working. <laughs> so we're going to look at pictures for that. It's fun. Even the decor sounds fascinating very it's a it's really interesting i love how they interpreted the the local tribes and their heritage and everything into this theater and they yeah. have such a broad like they do so many different things there now it's not just a stage they do movies and things it's just it's neat cool i love when they don't tear down historic buildings they make them into something right even if it's renovated into something new i just think that's so neat well our little theater and in, in our town used to be grocery store <laughs> A grocery store? Grocery store. <laughs> All right. So next week, Mom, we will be covering episode 90. Gosh, can you believe it? A different place outside of the United States. We will be traveling to, oh, Canada. Eh? <laughs> oh, the Canadians are mad now. <laughs> They're like, crud. All right. Sounds like fun. Yes. You will find all of the resources and all of these pictures we're chatting about on our website, KillerHangoverPodcast.com. We will also be posting them on our social media, Facebook, Instagram. Look for the cocktail recipes on TikTok. Golly. Getting better and better. If you are on our website on your mobile device, sometimes it can be a little tricky to find the pictures. So if you scroll through the description of the episode and you scroll down, you hit page two. Yeah. That'll take you to all the pictures. I might try to look into making that a little easier for you guys. Check out our merch. It's also going to be on our website, also on our social media, or email us, killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com and say, uh, where's your merch? I want to see it. <laughs> and we'll send you a link. Also, don't forget to put in those reviews. Please, please, and thank you. That'll be a nice Christmas gift to us. Yes. The more reviews, the higher we fall up in the, uh, the search. The higher we fall? The higher, <laughs> sorry. The higher we go in the higher search. Higher we climb, Mom. We're climbing. <laughs> yes, we want to climb. We don't want to fall. The higher we go in the search bar. Yes. We really would appreciate that. Also, shoot us an email with any recommendations for places for us to cover, both paranormal, true crime story, as well as a cocktail you want us to drink. And if you want to buy us a drink, join us on Patreon. Another good one, Mom. <laughs> Please message us and tell us how to pronounce grocer. <laughs> grocer. Grocery store. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>